0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Glory to you. Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I shall ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. That spirit of truth whom the world can never receive since it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him, because he is with you, he is in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come back to you. In a short time the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live and you will live. On that day you will understand that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Anybody who receives my commandments and keeps them will be one who loves me. And anybody who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I shall love him and show myself to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking we're six weeks deep into this Easter season. You know, time moves quite quick. It wasn't so long ago that we were celebrating Easter Sunday, and I remember this church was just bursting at the seams. Easter and Christmas, they're wonderful times to see the church at its, you know, at its maximum. At its, um, it's, it's really how the church should be, just bursting, outpouring all the time. But so much has really happened since then, and hopefully a lot has changed. A lot has been transformed. The challenge of Easter is that the resurrected Jesus would be like a yeast, that cultivates and then changes reality completely, entirely. That has to happen in each of our lives, and it has to happen for the world. The resurrected Jesus does this. This is, this is his um, effect on us, changes reality. And he changed the reality most definitely for the disciples who knew him. They traveled with him, and we hear often their sort of foot-in-mouth conversations that they have with him because they did not understand until all was revealed, and then suddenly their minds, their hearts, their mission, their vocation, their sense of giftedness, their sense of worth, everything was turned upside down and inside out. They had a whole new identity and a whole new lease on life and how to use their lives. Listen to this. It was the first thing we heard in the Liturgy of the Word. It comes from chapter 8, verse 5 of the book of Acts. It says, Philip went to the, a Samaritan town and proclaimed the Christ to them This is the same Philip who not long ago said to Jesus Lord show us the father and then we'll be satisfied At that point he wasn't satisfied with Christ himself He was looking for something different And these are the same Samaritans who not so long ago seemed so repulsive to the Jews Oh they're unworthy oh they've adulterated the law and the and the tradition no they're not they're not for us Philip evidently has been changed radically. He no longer searches for some vague sense of the divine that's somewhere that may or may not satisfy him. But in fact, he has encountered God in the Christ whom he preaches. Jesus died and risen. And he can no longer keep that knowledge, that encounter, to himself. He has to run to the ends of the earth to everyone whom the Lord has sent him Even those who he once found so repugnant, so unworthy, so otherworldly. Because he knows that the heart that he has with its hungers and thirsts, being satisfied in Christ, is the same heart that every single human has. Jesus is the one who satisfies us. And so he proclaims Christ, the Anointed One. How is his message received? Well, it says the people were united in hearing his proclamation. And they received it with great joy. Peter and John weren't far behind. They came along, they prayed. It says that demoniacs were were cleansed and cripples and such were healed, as we often hear in Jesus' own ministry. And finally, they they have hands laid on them and the Holy Spirit is given to them. The same spirit we heard promised in that gospel. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. The spirit of truth. Advocate's a beautiful word. It's sort of a legal word, really. It's someone who stands by your side and defends you when tribulation comes. The consoler, the strengthener, the one who gives us wisdom, the one who reveals the Son and the Father to us, the one who allows us to cry out, Abba, Father. This spirit is given to them. As we draw closer to Pentecost, it's really worth putting our minds right before the Holy Spirit, begging for that outpouring, begging to encounter the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I want to staple something in our minds, because we hear these words at every single Mass. Think of just before we receive communion, where we're sort of in the upper room there, where Jesus breathed on his apostles, and he said, peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. This is in every single Mass, because every single Mass is a kind of Pentecost, really. I feel our proclamation of Christ, the proclamation that Philip gave, the proclamation that the apostles gave, the proclamation that the early church sweated and and bled for, I feel our proclamation of Christ in this day and age, it really does need attention. Who is the Christ that we proclaim? Who is the Christ that we uh, introduce in a way to ourselves and then go and broadcast to the world? It's a great concern for us, no less than it was a concern for the early church. In the early centuries, every kind of false Christ was proposed to the people. And they had to know that that's not the Lord we met. That's not the one who came in our midst and saved and saves us. They had to be very, very keen on this. I remember we had a retreat with um, Bishop Greg Homing, and he was saying in the early church when these heresies came about, it wasn't the theologians and the doctors and the academics who said, hey, that doesn't sound right. It was the cave-dwelling mystics who spent all their time praying. And they said, "Uh, wait a minute, that's not the Jesus we know in our deep, deep, intimate prayer life. That's someone else. We don't follow him. So what were these false Christs? Well, some thought that Jesus had no divinity. He was not God. He only received some kind of divinity once the Holy Spirit descended on him at his baptism. we are familiar with that scene. But before that, he was just a man, a good man maybe. Uh, He was adopted into sonship with God. Well, no. (laughs) That's what happens at your baptism and my baptism. But Jesus is the only begotten. He does not need adoption to the Father. (laughs) That's a false Christ. Others thought, well, Jesus might be purely spiritual. Um, and so he has no human body. How could God have a body anyway? Um, and thus, everything from Jesus' birth to his touching of lepers, to his washing of feet, to his uh, dying, it was all illusion because he's just a spiritual entity. Well, that's another false Christ. If that's being proposed to us, we have to cast it out uh, very, very keenly. Others supposed, okay, sure, Jesus had a body and he had a soul, but his mind was completely divine. These are very earnest ideas about Christ, by the way. I don't mean to belittle them because this is the church theologizing, thinking on who is Christ. They're trying to make sense of it. But this as well is wrong. It's a heresy. You have a mind. Jesus had a human mind as well, which he subordinated to the Father. Think of of his own prayer, which we have a window to in the Gospels. Lord, let this cup pass from me. That's a very human mind at prayer. (laughs) But not my will. Your will be done. Subordinating it to the the love and and the plan of his Father. Others thought, this is the last one I'll say, others thought that Jesus was a kind of knitting together of two people the divine Logos, the eternal word of God, and then whoever happened to be Mary's boy. Could have been anyone, but it just happened to be this Nazarene fellow. This is a heresy. It had to be Jesus. It had to be him from that bloodline, from that uh, location, who crossed through Egypt and from Bethlehem, everything, all of it. It had to be him. That's Jesus. That's the Lord. That's the Christ we know and we proclaim to the world. <clears throat> we have to be very, very keenly aware of this. These might seem trivial to us in 2023 in Gladstone, because it's like, look, we're not, we're not trying to nut out theological uh, debates here. But, but think of it this way. The further we go from the true Christ, which is easier than you'd think, the further we stray from the true Christ, the more powerless our proclamation is, the less uh, cultivating of a yeast it is, the less it will do in our lives and in the lives of those we proclaim Christ to. We heard everything that happened in Acts, Jerry was proclaiming to us. Proclaiming a false Christ will bring less peace to the world. It will foster less unity among us, among enemies, among uh, nations that are at war. It will encourage less rejoicing in our hearts. It gives us less reason for the hopes we have in resurrection. It will leave our consciences less clear. uh, And so on. Only the true Christ has his power, and so we have to preach him and not some, uh, some cheap imitation. In other words, for Jesus to do in our lives what only he can, he has to be who he is. And we have to know him as he is. We have to meet the risen Lord as the risen Lord who comes to us. Once again, that great perennial question confronts all of us. It's a question that never stops encountering us. Who do you say I am? Or rather, who do the people say I am? And what about you? Who do you say I am? Jesus constantly poses this question to us, and it's not an invitation to make up some new response. Oh, you know, these people say that. What do you think? No, it's precisely not that. It's Jesus, who is truth with a capital T, breaking into our universe and encountering us as other. Think of when he broke into the universe of Paul, who was persecuting the church. And Paul's response is, Who are you, Lord? Like, I know you're Lord because I can see that much, but who are you? I don't know. It's God's initiative. And not ours. So, friends, it's truth with a capital T and not any number of transient lowercase t truths that we are commissioned and empowered by the Spirit to proclaim to the world. Yes, with courtesy. Yes, with respect. But also, as we heard in that second reading from Peter, with a certain readiness to suffer. We heard Vivian read that just before. I love that line where it says, It is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's like suffering is going to be part of this life. So you get to choose what are you going to suffer for? What's worth it? It's a really good question. It's better to suffer for the knowledge and friendship of our Savior, who is with us, than to have any number of cheap consolations of the counterfeit Christs that are presented to us from time to time. False Christs have nothing to say to us. Nothing. Because really they're dead they're dead idols they didn't resurrect they didn't even live in the first place but the true Christ in whose name we gather in whose presence we gather calls to each of us calls us by name because he is alive and he is the Good Shepherd who we know knows his sheep. he says to us if you love me you will keep my commandments in a short time, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Do we? Do we see him? Do we search with, a, with an eager gaze? Knowing Jesus, I'm sure we've noticed, changes our relationship with the world. Jesus came to save the world. We know that. It's on bumper stickers. It's everywhere. <laughs> Jesus came to save the world because he loves the world but he simultaneously seems to set himself at odds with it, doesn't he? With these kind of strange, sometimes very abrupt or very sharp words that really confuse us, they disorient us. There's a powerful tension in the heart of Jesus, which is simultaneously the most unimaginable love and the most unyielding hatred for ill, all that that is toxic in in the world. Jesus furiously drives that away with his love. And we're called to imitate this, this very difficult tension between love and hate. It's difficult. And I think at times the world will misunderstand it. Even our loved ones, even we, will misunderstand it. It's a great challenge. It's a great cross, in fact. We're called to imitate Jesus, as Paul said, to be in the world but not of the world, to be sheep among wolves, to come serving rather than expecting to be served and here's the kicker to seek no reward or consolation or accolade or anything from the world because the world is not our advocate the world is not our comforter the world is not our primary equipper the world is certainly not our Lord and our God the world if you like It's like a gigantic version of each of us. A great big sinner in need of redemption. A great big dying thing in need of resurrection. And we go on mission in and to the world. We are anointed with that spirit that Jesus promised. We must be the ones who know him, who obey him, and proclaim him to all. We must let him change us so that we can go and change the world.